Welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. This week, we are going to talk to Andrew Shira, veteran guide service. And Andrew primarily guides in northern Illinois and southern Wisconsin. And, you know, as per usual, we're going to kind of go and hit up a variety of topics. So if you're looking to learn a little bit about catching some more fish this season, certainly stick around for the episode of Backlash Podcast. As per usual, Brad Hoppy with Muskie Mayhem Tackle is here. I'm your host, Jeff, with Team Run Outdoors. And let's just kind of hit up our, you know, one-minute infomercial if you have it if you're looking for gear for your next musky fishing adventure make sure you check out teamrhinooutdoors.com as per usual we're always adding new products this week we added a bunch of new clothing options new hoodie options new what did we get hats we got all that stuff you can get some fenwick rods fenwick has a new line of rods the elite series predator rods those are available and we will have those at the milwaukee show on top of the whole lineup of st croix rods we will have a couple of show specials on some of that stuff so stop in our booth at the milwaukee musky expo to get your hands on either fenwick or st croix rod and we also added the nessie from berkeley it's a gla- soft plastic like glide bait jerk bait swim bait type of thing you can find it. I'm hoping at some point I'll film a video on it, but I have not yet since we literally just got them in our hands. It's brand new. It's more of a, it's specifically designed for bass, but I think it's going to be something that'll be super cool for muskies. And we have it in the five inch, seven inch and nine inch versions. And I think those are just a few things that we've added recently. Oh, AFCO hoodies, you know, Brad, you're into the AFCO hoodie, the uh, shadow hoodie. You got one from me at the Chicago show. Hopefully we will be restocked by the Milwaukee show. I know they're at the printer right now, so we still have about 12 days to get them back in before we head off to the show. And speaking of the show, we will be at the Washington County Fair Park on February 16th, 17th, and 18th for the 2024 Milwaukee Muskie Expo. Of course, we say it's Milwaukee, but it is not. It is in West Bend, Wisconsin, which is about a half hour to the north of Milwaukee. Hours are 2 to 8 on Friday in nine to eight or nine to five on saturday and nine to two on sunday so stop out to the milwaukee muskie expo and and see us now brad i took up way more than a minute so why don't you use your (laughs) your 12 seconds that you were allotted to to, uh, talk about muskie mayhem tackle yeah perfect real super easy you can go to muskiemayhemtackle.com and check out our website for any of your big blades small blades Hair, flash boo, marabou, we got it all. Spinner baits, inlines. So come check us out. You can build a custom right on there. And we'd love to have you as a customer. And then second of all, let's talk a little bit about Mayhem 10,000 Cast. We are at the midpoint of the season coming into this next Saturday after you listen to this podcast. I believe it's show number seven. So Chase and I will be doing a Facebook Live. I don't know if it'll be right after this podcast or going into the next week, but I'm just kind of giving you guys a heads up if you have interest in coming on there, asking questions about the shows that we've already that you've already seen this year. We will schedule it. It'll be on our Facebook as well as our Instagram, letting you guys know when we're going to schedule that. If you want to get involved in a podcast at the Milwaukee Show, on Friday night, we will be talking about, or we will be having a podcast, and what we're going to talk about is up to whoever shows up. But Brad and I were also kicked around the idea of running it simultaneously on Facebook Live on that Friday night. So quite honestly, if you were sitting at home and you weren't able to make it to the show, you might be able to dial that up on Facebook. We'll, we'll get you the details. We literally just kicked around this idea like five minutes ago. And I think that we should give that a shot is try to get more, a little bit more interaction. And I think we're also, when we have a guide panel of five or six, I think we're only going to give like three guides a chance at each, each question. So to avoid a little bit of repetitiveness and try to cycle through a few extra questions. So that's kind of what's going to go on. I think it'll be, I don't know, six forty-five, seven o'clock out of the musky man tackle booth. As long as Brad's willing to let us hang out in his booth for an hour. Yeah, absolutely. It's always fun to do. And you know, Besides that Facebook Live thing, hopefully we have a bunch of people that come and hang out around the booth, and we don't even have to rely on any questions on Facebook Live, but it's a good time. It's really cool to see the people that show up and ask some of those questions, so don't be bashful. It's real easy, and uh, I'll be there and hand you the mic, and you can ask your questions and keep the ball rolling for us. 
All right, Brad, you got anything else you want to talk about on early February, early, yeah, early February evening, and uh, it's a Sunday evening. We're actually a little bit ahead of schedule compared to the last couple of ones, but anything else you need to add to this episode before we dial up our conversation we had with Andrew? I don't think so, Jeff. I'm looking forward to this podcast, and I think it's time to get after it. Oh, wait, hold hold on, Brad. There is one teaser. I think as long as you tell me that you had this actually lined up, and I'm pretty sure you told me that they did, one of the most requested repeat guests that we've ever had on the podcast, we've never had him back on a second time. We had him on once. You told me that you're pretty sure he's willing to come on and do another episode. That is correct. (laughs) I'm guessing you don't want me to say the name yet, but you're right. We we had, I mean, he's obviously quite a special guest because of uh, some of his background and the things that he's done. But yes, he is essentially willing to jump back on with us. He's not been on any other podcast out there, maybe seen on TV a few times over the years, but yeah, he's just one of those guys that brings a whole different level to the storm. Yep. So very cool. Look for that in the uh, upcoming episode of Backlash Podcast. I'm sure it's going to be one of the most downloaded episodes that we've had because most of his other or his not most of his other ones. He's literally been on one time, and it's definitely within. I haven't looked lately, but it was always in the top five for sure of most downloaded podcasts we have. It's very unique opportunity we have on, as special guests, and we really do appreciate all all of our guests as well as our listeners. So. With that being said, we rambled for six minutes. Let's talk to uh, Andrew from Veteran Guide Service. All right. Our guest this week is Andrew Shira, Veteran Guide Service. First time we've ever had you on the podcast, Andrew, and we very much appreciate your time this Sunday evening. So thank you for coming out and uh, talking fishing with us. Hey, thank you, gentlemen. Pleasure to be here. All right, Andrew. Like I said, it's the first time we've ever had you on. You, you know, I know of you, Brad knows of you, but not everybody may know of you. I wouldn't say you're necessarily a household name. Let's talk a little bit about the guide service. Let's talk about, you know, but first let's go all the way back. What got you into muskie fishing? You know, I was on family vacations to Eagle River since I was about four years old. And by the time I was 11 or 12, I was getting into them a little bit on these little lakes up in Vilas and Sawyer County. And by the time I was 16, it was about all I wanted to fish for. (laughs) So it, it just kind of progressed slowly and the chain of lakes that I grew up near the Fox chain of lakes specifically, it, it's really progressed as a fishery over my lifetime. And seeing that I've been pretty blessed to be a part of it. So. Yeah. Very um, cool. Are you, you know, let's talk about the guide service part of this. So you just a musky guide. Do you multi-species fish? Let's talk a little bit about that. Sure thing. No, we do. Uh, I do smallmouth on Lake Geneva primarily, and then I do walleyes on both Lake Geneva and the Fox Chain of Lakes. So we get into them for most of our spring months. And then once our fish come out of spawn, we do have some pre-spawn opportunities, but I, I focus primarily on muskies starting around Memorial Day for the rest of the season. And, you know, like on a year like this, you know, because I'm, I'm assuming down there by you, the, the Fox Chain can't have a ton of ice. And um, I mean, based on the long range forecast, it's going to probably probably get a little bit less like how when do you typically start guiding and if the ice comes off earlier this year do you guide sooner you know i actually didn't book i i ran my late season open water trip so i didn't book too many ice trips i was in the boat until about january 10th this year doing some open water trolling and i'm suspecting that i'll have the boat in the water much before i think we'll be Today, we were at normal pool, and typically we're not at normal pool until April 1st. So this might suggest we have better weed opportunities early in the year and maybe a little better pre-spawn time phrase. So probably be running pretty consistently starting around the second, third week of March this year. Yeah, that's a... Yeah. I I drove by a local, you know, lake or whatever we call it. It's like a widening of a river, but man, that thing was wide open in the middle. And I bet you by the end of the week, you probably put a boat, you know, you could launch a boat in there. Unfortunately, in Wisconsin, we're dealing with seasons, so we're not going musky fishing anyways. But, you know, for people that are looking to get out and do a little bit of multi-species action, there'll definitely be opportunities to get a boat out early. In fact, I don't know how familiar you guys are with the uh, Fox River up in Green Bay. Tremendous walleye fishery, fishery. And I'm told that there's many, many boats out there already fishing. And, you know, here we are on whatever, April 4th today. So it's just crazy how how different things can be, you know, from year to year. Oh, yeah. Typically, I guide the Fox River up in Green Bay from about the third week of March to the third week of April every year and hit that main couple of pushes of main melt fish coming up. And it is it's tremendous. But 
I only run usually four, four to 10 PM or four to midnight. And it's gotten so chaotic, even after dark the last few years. I mean, it's just between Brown County and Voyager, there's probably about three or 400 boats a weekend making a launch. So it's, it's something to, to experience. We get a lot of fish over 28 inches, some, you know, incidental muskies that we hook up trolling or casting jerk baits at night, but it's an incredible fishery and it's pretty cool. Those walleye mafia guys got it opened up at Voyager so soon this year. So I got to ask one question. How did you come up with your guide service name? So it was actually kind of just fell in my lap. I was sitting struggling, trying to think of something. And I'm like, you know what? I'm a veteran and I don't want it to be like a misleading one. So I thought it just kind of suited me to be the veteran with the guide service. And it led to my website and eventually it just stuck. (laughs) So kind of a coincidence. A lot of people are thinking it's like take a vet or something related. It's not. It's just me. I'll be the only guy answering the phone. My email, andrew.shira at gmail.com and all that goes straight to me and only me. So I do work with some of the take a vet guys like Dave Van Dorn, but I'm a profitable, you know, commercial fishing organization. (laughs) Well, that's perfect. Well, thank you for your service too as well. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Had a good time with it. Absolutely. We definitely appreciate that. You know, let's talk about that part of it. How long were you in service and how long are you still, you know, in, in the service and of any uh, oh, no, capacity? No. Dude, I got out. So I went in in like March of 2006 and did OAF in seven and then OEF in nine, 10, and then got out in March of 2011. I've been like inactively reserved and, and relieved from even all that stuff. So couldn't get recalled actually like a little bit, a partial retirement kind of deal from the Marine Corps, I guess you would say. But, you know, I just did my four and a half years active time. And and then I went through, you know, some college and stuff like that and some careers that didn't stick. And then this one did. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sounds like it's going really well. You know, let's talk about the fishery down there. You know, uh, much like Wisconsin, I think that Illinois and you said you primarily guide on the Fox chain, you know, in Illinois. That's one of those fisheries that I think you hear a lot about, you know, small fish and, and many fish and things like that. You know, let's talk about that. What do you see in these days over there in the Fox Chain? So, you know, Fox Chain Lakes is my primary home waters, I guess you would say. It's definitely gone from maybe an average fish of 28 to 34 inches in the 90s when I was growing up fishing it to an average fish of like 36 to 42. We have, you know, we've had some tremendous days there where you know, guiding some clients on a clear water fishery like Green or Geneva or somewhere that's got, you know, much less numbers, much tougher fishing conditions versus bringing somebody who's a little newer, maybe has kids coming out for the first time to bring them to a fishery like the Fox Chain. It's one of those things where if you're a decent guide, you almost can't miss. I mean, I believe that our, our North Lakes have like three fish per acre any given week of the year and the stocking continues. So it's really been known for a lot of smaller fish but we've been seeing a ton over four foot our illinois you know legal size is over four foot and we're releasing them all and seeing quite a few about eight or ten a season now so it's very encouraging and i think people might might fish it more simply and bang shoreline and stuff like that but these are very educated fish that have felt and seen and been hooked by just about every lure on the market and quite a few of our fish are pelagic even when the weeds are really good and we got a really good deep open water bite going midsummer when a lot of people are struggling with smaller fish in the weeds so i think a lot of it is what you're doing out there and when you're doing it and you know the fish definitely will show up on the 30 plus pound side for sure Let's talk about the weed situation out there. You tell me that the, you know, things have kind of changed a little bit in recent years, right? Water, water fluctuations and things like that. The clarity for one has definitely increased on our North lakes, like bluff and channel and Catherine, you know, and sometimes have an excess of 10 feet of visibility, which is, you know, pretty rare. Typically we're dealing with like zero to four feet of is any given day on any lake, the 10,000 acres of the chain. So pool height now, what the Fox waterway agency has done, is they have rebuilt the McHenry spillway control. So that controls all of our tailwaters south from McHenry through Algonquin and the whole South Fox River. And the way that they rebuilt the spillway is it is able to let a ton of volume of water out much faster. We used to have high water for maybe three to five days as they were attempting to lower the, the pool height. And we would have incredible fishing at all these neck down and current and bridge areas because of them drying it down for so long. So now they draw the water down a lot faster and they've made our pool height a few inches, about four inches higher than what it used to be. 
which has made our weeds just explode because the pool height used to get unmanageably low sometimes warming trends where they would lower it down in the forecast and then the rain doesn't come and now we're six inches low and our weeds got burned so the last few years since 2019 we had a horrible shad kill we had an incredible high water period in the fall of 19 that went into that polar vortex 19 into 20 and ever since they rebuilt we were flooded for like 30 days straight in September of 2019, where it was closed. And they rebuilt that spillway because of that 2019 incident. So sorry, I know I kind of got off topic there a little bit, but that spillway control has really changed how long we have high water and how frequent we get high water. And it's made our pool height much more manageable at like a plus four inch from normal higher levels. So I think our, our primary break lines and even secondary break lines have a lot better weeds because that pool height is up now and uh, they don't get burned off as easy. You know, it's one of those things, like I haven't fished a fox chain in, gosh, I don't even know how long, probably 18, 16 years, somewhere in that ballpark, but like... Oh, Jeff, you got to give it a day, man. It's, it seems that way. I hear that, yeah. I hear that about, when I talk to different musky guides, it sounds like I got to be giving a day to a lot of different places, but... You know, the the fox chain, like, you know, you're talked there about how you don't deal with high water for as long. It's one of those things where I think when I fished it, it wasn't very, un, it wasn't, it didn't seem like it was very uncommon to have a spring where like it would be slow, no wake for like two weeks straight. I'm assuming you're, you're not seeing, yeah. yeah, exactly. You're not seeing that anymore. No, sir. No, we used to have like a month straight in May and in September where it was no wake, very minimal pleasure boat traffic and tubers out because of that no wake. So it made for just this unbelievable spring and fall topwater bite. That's, I don't want to say non-existent. We still get a lot of fish on topwaters, both, you know, walk the dog and prop style, but that's the windows where we have this higher water and the, and the weeds are just at the right level to have good access for the fish. You know, that's very, it's really shortened. You know, we might have a few days and then they're able to suck that water out so fast. Everything recedes off the, you know, kind of goes back off the brake lines. And it goes from like a really shallow three, four foot of water bite to like, you know, eight to 12 or something where they're staged up, wait and go back in. Yeah. Very cool. So we, we always encourage, you know, listeners of the podcast to reach out to these guides, book days with them and, and things like that, because obviously we, we very much appreciate your time to come out and talk muskies. But let's talk about the chain because I think, like, let's just say for me, for example, I wanted to come down and, and uh, you know, you're booked and I want to just go fishing for a day. What do I need to do in order to go there? Because I think there's like some sort of like permit or some, something is. that you need to do in order to launch there on the chain, isn't there? There is. Yeah, you can jump on the Fox Waterway Agency app or you can hit some of the local bait shops. A real good one that's right in Antioch is Triangle Sports. And they have a one day chain pass for, I believe, to be like 20 to 30 dollars, depending on the size of your boat. And as long as you have that chain pass, then you would just pay your regular launch fee at whatever boat ramp you go to and you're good for the day. So you can get an annual. I think it's a buck twenty five. Man, it's unbelievable. Some of the, I guess we'll just call them taxes, right? It's essentially a tax down there. You know, you want to use oh, yeah. the waterway, they're going to get you for 30 extra dollars for a day to go fishing, which, I mean, you know, all of us spend 30 extra dollars on suckers and, and, and baits and all sorts of stuff, but it's, sure. it's, it's, it's incredible. Some of the stuff that you, you know, that you got to deal with these days. Now, Jeff, the guide Wisconsin, like Lake Geneva, for example, I need my Wisconsin guide license. The bay, I need a captain's, but that's it. And, you know, secondary from that, you, you go to Illinois and they need a passenger for hire. And then the third one they need is a commercial vessel sticker. And you still need your Fox Waterway annual sticker. So I got to pay three stickers for the Fox Waterway agency and a guide license and a captain's license. Where Wisconsin, you only need your guide license. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, was, Illinois hits you five times. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like it's at least worth it to go down there these days, you know, like it's, I mean, you're obviously having a great time out there and catching a bunch of fish. So it's worth oh, it yeah. that way. Dude, our late season was better than I've ever had before. We didn't have a ton of fish over 46 inches. We had a couple, but we had a couple like 10 and 14 fish days with a lot of like 36 to 44 inch fish that were just phenomenal. You know, really good showing of middle and younger juvenile female year classes and stuff. So yeah, you, you really should, I would say, take a drive up or, you know, March can be really tough. The water level's usually low. April, 
you know, we don't usually have our real good vegetation starting until we get over 50 degrees. And that's usually that first week of May. And we start getting real good curly tail pond weed beds and all the bays and stuff. So that's, uh, I would recommend waiting until about that first week of May, if a guy were coming, you know, for the first time and expect a bunch of fish in the funk, you know, they're, they're in that spawn pretty heavy till about that third week of May in Illinois. Well, let's talk about early season and a fox chain. I don't know if that was necessarily a topic that we were going to uh, approach today, but you know, you got me thinking about it. So you hear about, you know, anglers on the east, eastern, you know, east coast, you know, PA, Ohio, all that stuff. They do a lot of that early season, short line trolling, speed type of a deal. Is that something that you see over there, you know, or I shouldn't say over there, down there. You guys are just a little bit south of us, but you know, is that something you see on, on the Fox chain? Um, we do have a real good short line program that goes hard in April once we get to a normal pool height. Typically, it's you know, two to four inch baits. Some years on real high pressure days, you're running like walleye baits and stuff, but it's, it's, it's more of a, just a contour trolling. A lot of these fish are staged and with the clear water earlier in our springs, before we get the real algae blooms taken off, when you're sub 50 degrees, a lot of times we're dealing with 10 feet of visibility and that shoreline thing, we might not have the correct pool height for. So if you're going up there and you see that Fox Waterway Agency app, check and see what your pool height is. If it's at that normal 4.0, 4.2, that's our normal pool height on the app. And if you see that, you can expect to have a great, you know, two feet of line and a leader kind of short to a planer board on your inside, maybe 10, 20 feet on your outside. And yeah, that three to three, three mile an hour, it definitely goes, but you got to have those right conditions for it, or you're, you're ending up with a lot of the bigger fish off the brake lines and you end up with, you know, a few small males and maybe a juvenile female in the, the shallow flats on the primaries. That's definitely nothing I've experienced. Brad, have you ever done that whole two feet, you know, two feet in your line out type of a short line deal? Yeah, I have. Whenever I've been in Kentucky, you know, fishing with Greg Thomas or whatever, two foot, six foot, eight foot, something like that, just, you know, three rods out both sides. Literally, if the water's clear, you can just sit there and watch your bait, and a lot of times you'll actually get to watch it eat. So it's a, it's a really cool thing to do. But I don't know. I've tried it up here a little bit. This, we do have a TV show coming up here in a couple of weeks where we did some short line trolling, but it was mostly after dark. Not quite that short, like we're talking about right now. But sure. for Minnesota, I would say it was a short line. Absolutely. Yeah, those clear lakes, if you get anything less than like 30 or 50 feet, or if you're not adding keel weights, it's impressive. Yeah, the clear water dust definitely makes a difference. But, you know, you can change that and combat that with nighttime stuff and and the other thing is, is, you know, if you're doing it like over the weed bed, you keep your bait so that they're not diving through those weeds, it can definitely make a difference as well. Absolutely. And your bait and everything else should be up a little higher when it's dark out anyway. True. Well, yeah, that short line thing can be very water pool height dependent, but if you ever come up and you see we got a normal pool height, you can suspect there'll be a lot, and, you know, plus 50 degree water temps. Those fish are going to be weighing, you know, four to six feet usually where, where we see them. And as far as early season, we don't feel too guilty targeting them because we are strictly, you know, it's not a native fishery. It is all stocking. And thanks to the boys at our local Fox River Valley Muskies, Inc. and local DNR, we've been doing a pretty good job managing those fish. Does the fox chain, do you end up with issues, you know, sometime mid-summer where you, you're getting to a temp where you can't actually fish? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's different every year. We've had a few years where it's like the 10th of June and all of a sudden we're at 81, 83, and, and you'll see some guys that really don't know. And there's a great trolling bite in early June usually out there. And, you know, if you're if you're ripping fish from 80-something degree water and you're not playing them with the right drag and you don't got the right tools and the right net, you're definitely killing fish. And unfortunately, there's some mornings where, you know, you'll find a few floating or after a big tournament. So I try to really encourage people to, you know, multi-species fish. Don't be afraid to, <laughs> to go do something else or do what I used to do and, you know, make your way up to southern Wisconsin, then maybe northern Wisconsin, maybe by August you're up in Lake of the Woods or something, but just keep following that temperature belt that you need for that mid-70 degree water when your fish are, you know, spunky and happy. That makes perfect sense. I think most musky anglers are aware of it, but, uh, you know, you do see it. and It's definitely a concern for the fishery, that's for sure. How many oh, yeah. How many lines per person can you run in Illinois? I don't, I'm not familiar with that either. 
reaper license. And with majority of the lakes I'm fishing, less than a thousand acres, I'm very rarely running more than eight, but you'll see guys running 12 and they got bigger boats and stuff like that. But with the jet skis and the speed boats and all the, you know, all the other water traffic out there, tow boats, working boats, commercial stuff. I like flatline trolling when the boat traffic's real bad anyway. <laughs> all that chop makes your boards run like and surge all the time. Makes sense. So we haven't talked about Geneva. I know you spent some time there as well. Let's talk a little bit about that fishery and kind of a, a fishery that's been semi-quiet for quite a few years, but you're starting to hear a little bit of noise about it. It's there, man. The fish are, are unfortunately not quite at the numbers we need for the, we'll call it, I guess, the 3D water space of, of that 5,500 acres. We definitely have been stocking it. So it's been like every other year since 2010. We're, we're Chicagoland Muskie Hunters is the club that's in charge of that. And they're doing a good job trying to get the Leech Lake extended, you know, growth strain when they're 18 inches or 16, 18 months old. But it's hard sometimes convincing their people to pay the $20 or $22 for those fish when they can get, you know, almost two to one on the, well, they're, they're like 11 or $12 each for the, the fingerlings. So anyhow, from 2010, they had about 1,200 leech lakers put in. Those fish right now are about 50, 51 inches. I lost a real nice one this, this July with a client in August. It was pretty good as well. And the biggest one we bumped this year was a four footer. And then last year we had one that was in that, you know, 2010 year class that was a 50 and a half. And I think, I think there's potentially the next year class under that is in that 48 and a half, 49. So there's next season, I believe, you know, you're, you're about to have the first year where there should be over 2000 fish and they're over 50 inches. So it, it's getting there timing wise, you know, it's such a huge deep lake the whole west half of the lake basically from the narrows west that main basin is 165 to 80 feet and it takes from what i'm seeing majority of those fish don't come out of spawn until like mid-july sometimes early july but you know i spent all my june out there doing some casting off the break lines and you know messing around in the weeds a little bit but all i'm seeing is those spawning fish in that 10 12 feet that i don't want to mess with until you know about the end of june so i think a lot of people are getting the timing and the location wrong you know i spend the majority of my time outside 25 feet i mean it's just the way the lake lays out it's got 30 30 to 32 feet of visibility and by mid-july it's got a 33 foot thermocline so it's it's different, man. Those fish, they come straight vertical from the bottom of the lake and up into your figure eight, you know, from 30, 40 feet of water. It's impressive. It's cool. They're very fast. They're very lean. Shouldn't say lean. They're, they're just mean. <laughs> they're, uh, they're post spawn at four foot and they're like 23 around, you know, and, and they're, they're just unremarkable. They, they haven't been caught. There's enough forage in that lake that I think with the long jawed ciscos, the perch, all the different panfish, red ears, and, and we got in there and rock bass. I honestly think that we're going to be seeing potential for 55 plus pound fish coming out of there in another like three to five years. So maybe, maybe six years, give it, give them some time to get some girth on. But, you know, we're right now, if we're seeing, you know, just a 50 inch fish, that's already 24 girth. That's pretty impressive for a barely a 10 year old fish, 12 year old fish especially in those cold lakes, you know, Green Bay, they get to 50 in 10 years, but those colder lakes in Minnesota, I believe it's usually 14, 15 years to get some of them over 50. But you guys correct me. I have no idea on that. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of arguments on that whole theory, right? I mean, uh, it's a tough one unless you have some of those documents or whatever, but I mean, uh, throughout history here in Minnesota on a lot of our deeper lakes like that, they figure somewhere between nine and 10 is what I normally hear from like the DNR and things like that. So, so right on track. Yeah. I mean, it, and talking about a 24 inch girth fish, that's a healthy fish. I mean, oh, yeah. what, to 40 take, pounders to already. Get, right. To get 24 to 25 inch girth is like, that's a monster girth fish. And, yeah. and I don't care where you're going. You know what I mean? That, and it, I think so a lot of times post spawn. Sorry, Brad. Sorry to have something like that no. post spawn. It's insane. Yeah, exactly. But you know what? What I'm saying is, is it just blows my mind how often it gets thrown around. Oh, yeah, I got a 26 inch girth, and 
I mean, man, more power to you. That's awesome. I don't know if I've ever caught one 26 inch curve, you know, and I put in black back in the day and, and I caught a lot of them that were 24 to 25 and a half, but I don't think I ever hit the 26 my, myself. I've not, I had a 54 and a half by 24 and three quarters out of Green Bay was our heaviest fish to date. And I believe that was right around 43, four pounds. But to get to that 25, six inch girth is really saying something, man. It really is. I mean, so, yeah, you think about, look at your weight, you know, well, my weight might be a little bit bigger, but you know, if you think about like a, a 30 inch girth for your belt size or whatever, I mean, that's, that's a big freaking diameter. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's, it's mind-boggling to think about. Yeah, and honestly, these—I think what is it? Some of the St. Lawrence fish have measured like 29 and like that. But I mean, you're talking a 60-inch fish that's probably in excess of 22 or four years old to hit that size. It's unbelievable. Yeah, when you see some of those fish, I mean, you know it too, right? I mean, they're, oh, just, yeah. they're not they're calling shit. They can't hold it out at the camera. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that's really interesting about Geneva, you know, and I, I don't know. I mean, I, I know Austin Wiggerman has been on the podcast before, but I don't. Oh, Spence Petros, too. He's, he's on Geneva. So we've had a couple people, I guess, talk about it a little bit. But that name, Geneva, is kind of popping up a little bit, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. And it's an early young fisher, and it's impressive. Yeah, we're we're catching fish that have very specific fin clippings too. Like the 2010 leechers have a right ventricle clipping and we're able to know that these fish, hey, if it was, you know, a year and a half old when it was put in and it was put in in 2010, all right, it was that fish should be 50 to 51 inches and that's right on target. So I think now we're starting to see a few more of these other year classes mature. And yeah, I mean, Spence, his, he, I talked to him at the last Lady of the Lake tournament and he wasn't, his shoulders, I guess, been giving him some grief, but I believe he's like almost 87 now. So I know he's been hero to me for many years. So I hope, I hope he gets to see that that place kick out a 50 pounder you know it would be pretty cool for him so and austin and i we talk quite a bit and i think we're on kind of the same open water fish out there and we're doing a lot of the you know we're modifying baits we're fishing kind of newer stuff grenades have been really good out there anything that you can kind of count down quickly <laughs> i like double stacking two plus ounces on a 12 inch poseidon Sometimes I rig like a, a number five Colorado underspin blade off that front seven aught hook to give them something to look at for boat side. And that's been really good for me. Sort of my, my little guide trick out there, big rubber, you know, getting guys that can throw something over, you know, it's gotta be plus mag dog size that doesn't work out there. You know, if you can throw something through a school of Cisco's that'll spook those Cisco's, well, now all of a sudden, muskie's coming straight up to hit your pounder or your monster or your husky. But anything smaller than, yeah, I'd say like a husky or an alpha dog or something, you got to definitely have a big profile out there. A Royal Orbo, that, that what is it, the big daddy, king daddy. Those things are like a 15-inch profile. Those have been a pretty good bait out there too. But getting people that can patiently fish sometimes 15 or 20 feet down with their cadence back to the boat is, is tough. A lot of people have high speed reels and their boats going too fast and everything else. So it's a very methodical kind of thing. And I'm pretty proud to say, I think I got a pretty good, you know, read on those fish. So if people wanted to look me up, you could definitely check out my website at the veteran guide you know, Andrew, let's talk a little bit about this. So we didn't necessarily go over this either, but pressure, I would say you fish on, you know, two fairly high pressured fisheries. You know, I don't, I, I would say Fox Lake or Fox chain is definitely more pressured, but I think Geneva keeps getting more pressure by the day. You know, what do you do to combat the pressure? I'm just always throwing something that you can't open up out of a box. You know, you're taking and adding something to your trolling baits to make them different maybe running different line or wire or keel weight configurations. And instead of everybody running 50 pound mono or 40 or, you know, boss shads, everybody, you know, I just, I'm always trying to be a step ahead and I know everyone else is too. That's the name of the game. Electronics wise, <laughs> I don't really do anything any different. I'm still just a side imaging guy, gentlemen. I, I've done that forward facing for a couple of weeks and the day that I, put it away we caught that 50 well i ended up with a 50 boat side on geneva so it was like changing the way i fished and i didn't like it so i just you know i, I try to set myself aside with bait modifications and definitely 
I'm super anal about my gear and <laughs> changing line and leaders and terminal tackle and, and getting people to, you know, fish a very specific way typically to get a bite. So I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully people don't hate me for it, but the guys that I got coming back of, I got guys with disabilities that are catching more fish than they were before they started with me. So I'm very proud to say, I, you know, I take pride in kind of being a, a Nazi with cadence and, and timing and all that presentation. Well, let's have a quick conversation about forward-facing sonar. So you said that you've used it. You I had a buddy drop a you know a ten-inch unit in the boat, yeah, and uh, it was beautiful LVS thirty-four, real nice resolution. And let, let's talk about it. So you know you you didn't like it because you thought maybe it changed the way you fished or whatever. Let's go a little bit deeper into that. What you know what you know what I guess made you come to that conclusion. Do you think that the fish are conditioned to that, you know, to that sonar frequency? You know, you got some uh, thoughts on it? I definitely do. I would like to start, you know, I think that those fish are conditioned to that frequency, especially in shallower waterways like that Fox chain. I've had a few buddies that have told me their numbers have gone down, whether it's the fish shying away from their boat or the way that they're fishing, they're now whipping three baits at a at a fish turning the boat around doing a 180 spot locking whipping three different baits at this fish you know they're not just running a heading on a weed line making casts like they used to i think it changes you know the way we follow through with our plan for the day when i had it in the boat for the first hour i had a live scope i went drop shot in smallies and they were in about 24 feet of water on the edge of the deep coontail on lake geneva so i set my drop shot you know, the hook right above the coontail, about six inches, drop a crawler down right on the biggest fish in the pot of five and catch the 21 inch smallmouth. And dude, it, it almost made me sick how easy it was. So I don't know. It It's a great tool. You know, it really is. It's got unbelievable resolution to be able to see the way a, a fish, you know, postures when your bait hits the water if you're casting at a muskie or anything i I, you know i've trolled with it casted with it It, it's great but i won't use it i just i (laughs) i watched some guys sit on a fish we released on green bay for three days you know and they're trying to jig this fish that was sore mouth and and trying to sit out in thermocline and that just made me sick and and watching these youtube videos the guys getting three over 50 in the last two hours of sunset in a a minor they never musky fished a day before there's just so much about it that takes like the mystique of what's beneath the surface out of it man there's there's a little bit of a skill in reading your side imaging that is like watching tv you know (laughs) i don't know i don't i don't really necessarily think it's good for a lot of our fisheries but i don't have any you know any pull with that everybody that i take out asks me why i don't have it and you know hey it's a great tool i'd love to have a couple units fixed for looking at my trolling baits or like bringing my casting bait across it but just having it on like an articulating mount it just it's Guys are bragging about trips to like Vermilion where they make three casts and get three fifties. You know, it's just, it's ugly. I don't like what it's done to our sport. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I, I don't have a particular opinion either way. I have it. I've talked about it on the podcast a bunch of times. Quite honestly, I never use it and it's not because I have a position one way or the other to it. But for me personally, I, I just didn't want to take the time to learn, learn it. Cause I figured it would, it would definitely take some time to learn it, especially to, you know, the degree that we'll use, you know, Brad, I think you, you know, it really well, especially when we're trolling. I mean, you can, you know, you can point it at your bait and you kind of know what's going on and you know, that's great. And there's a lot of applications that I'm sure it's great for, but for me personally, I just didn't want to spend the time that it took to, to learn it because of my fishing time is limited. And sometimes I also just think about, you know, like, like getting away on muskies, you know, like a musky trip or a fishing trip. It's, you know, you want to get away from some of the, you know, the screens and the technology and, and try to take all that in. And I do think it may, detract, it may detract from some of that. And, but you know, we all, we all fish for different reasons, right? You know, like some of us are out there for the thrill of the chase and some, some people just want to catch fish. They don't care how, how it's done. So I, I can see both sides of the argument. You know, Brad's spoken out, you know, outward on this podcast numerous times about how we need to be responsible anglers when we are using the technology, because, you know, Brad, I mean, you can agree, like if you're catching fish from too deep, you're going to end up harming fisheries for sure. Well, it's not only that, it's also what you were just talking about, Andrew. I mean, I, Definitely, there's people that will hound the same fish. If that fish doesn't chase after the first time, 
it's probably not going to chase the second time. And then to sit on it and keep bombarding that fish, and it's just not good. It's not healthy yeah. for the fishery whatsoever. So there's multiple things. And I've always said that if you're going to choose to use it, it comes with responsibility. And, and you covered that, Jeff. So it's definitely a useful tool in many ways. No more. You don't need a line counter because you look at your bait and you set it, right? When you're trolling, you see a fish. Oh, on side. Bait. Good Lord. Yeah, that's another one, you know, and, uh, you know, we could, we could hammer on this for hours, right? About the pluses and the minuses. But I do, when I'm running it, like if, if I'm on the back of the boat and there's two guys on the front, I will run the pole at 45 degrees. And the reason I do that is now I can watch their bait coming in it's useful to me as a guide because now I can see what depth their bait is, how they're actually working that bait. And I can say, Hey, you need to slow down just a little bit, or, Hey, you need to give it this a little bit quicker whip when you're, when you're working your bait, I'd say a jerk bait or something. Uh-huh. Absolutely. To be able to see that in real time is an invaluable tool for a guide. He's, he's out of the strike zone, work it slower, whatever it may be. Exactly. And so it's useful that way. And then maybe you might see a follow behind them and so on and so forth. It's useful for finding the weed line in front of the boat. So if you want to stay off those weeds, say 10, 20 feet, you can do that. I mean, it's super, super useful in those types of aspects. Now, can you go out and snipe fish with it? You probably can. But that's where I think this gets a little bit dangerous. And and we're hearing more and more about it all the time. And I, it's it's bound to happen, right? There's a lot of ego in musky fishermen. So if you're all about trying to get a picture on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, yeah, you could go out there and do that. But like both of you have already said, fishing is more, it's more than just that. It's more than just the catch. And unfortunately there's going to be individuals that don't see it that way. It's just on the nature of the beast. It takes all to make it, you know, so we, we got to try to educate people on being responsible if they're using it. You're exactly right, Brad. That's the challenge. And I don't know, <laughs> I don't have the particular answer on that. So it's kind of wild. It really is. You know, there's some people that believe the DNR should say no more forward-facing sonar. You're seeing it in some tournaments. Look at the bass world right now. You know, if you're looking at tournament bass angling, they're talking about they've had a bunch of different surveys to the viewers that are watching bass. They're literally considering potentially having half the tournaments where they can use it and half where they can't use it because there's a lot of viewership that is saying this is the most boring thing to watch in the world because we're just watching a guy stare at a, a screen and it's a video game. So, and the bass community using 22-inch screens to do it nowadays, right? It's like watching Sandy Pay. I was thinking about getting a 50-inch screen in my boat now. I, I want to look like NASA when I'm going across the lake. Well, it'll make it easier for me to chase you down, Brad, if I ever come up that way. I'll just bring up my boat. I'll be like, all right, I'm just looking for the uh, massive, you know, you know, home theater screen right there in Brad's boat. I'm going to need solar panels then, too, though. Yeah, I mean, there, there is some of that to be disgust as we well right got power inverters and everything brad <laughs> no it's just bizarre right i mean there is uses for bigger screens there's no question but <laughs> it's amazing what i've kind of watched happen over the years that's for sure i know i started fishing to get like unplugged we'd go up north we'd drive three four hundred miles pick a lake and try to just connect with that environment and feel out our spots with the wind in the face and the crankbait on the rocks or whatever but man yeah it's a lot of that allure is gone with that technology and it's really going to be interesting to see what it does in the next five or ten years yeah you're not wrong one thing that popped into my head was we're talking about electronics with dick pearson and dick's famous quote is always i'm so old i mean i use rock and string i don't have sonar <laughs> but well you know like it's like you said it's going to put a lot of pressure on anglers to make ethical choices it will also i mean not just for muskies and we're talking about you know like ice fishing you know i mean i'm lots of guys are just you know cutting some holes and and, you know, chasing schools of crappies around over open water, whereas before I was going to, you know, be a, a difficult thing to stay on them. 
Well, now it's a whole lot easier. You know, it'll be, it's an ethical thing as far as like selective harvest and, you know, things like that you're going to need to look at as well. And I, I would imagine at some point you will see some sort of legislation with lower bag limits and, and things like that just to try to combat some of it. I'm guessing that's just my thoughts with it. I mean, like I said, I don't they're going to have to. Right. They're going to see it, I think, unfortunately, before it'll be a problem before it gets corrected. But hopefully they can start to see that trending elsewhere and, and other places will jump on board and say, hey, we got to get in front of this. Yeah, it'll be interesting, like you said, to, to see where we go. I mean, as this isn't the first time technology has interfered with the sport of fishing and, you know, somehow we managed to uh, find a happy medium and persevere outside of that. And, you know, once again, to each, it's to, it's up to each individual angler on on how they elect to spend their time. And, uh, and you know, like it, on the topic, I did watch part of a YouTube video. There is a YouTube video. I think it's on Pete Mayna's channel, like him and Scott Keeper, a guide up in Northern Wisconsin. They have a debate about forward facing sonar. And so if you want to listen to a couple people debate about it, you can certainly go there. I'm not going to do it all day on this show. It's just, no, no. Yeah. It's just not something that I really, I, I care to talk about a lot. I, I mean, I think, it, you know, we've mentioned it here. It's got lots of pluses and minuses to to the technology as does lots of technology you could argue the same thing for a cell phone right absolutely there's lake lake monster apps that do digital water temp surface of any lake in the country i mean there's all kinds of cool stuff out now for people that want to use those technological advances all right so andrew let's talk a little bit about gear you know rods reels that type of stuff what helps you get the job done on a daily basis you know it's uh spring you know we're not quite springtime but you know the temperatures have us thinking you know fishing and gearing up for the upcoming season you know like let's talk about what you're using to help put more fish in the in the uh, boat two things i want ready for casting and i'll even just i'll start with casting gear but the two things i start with right away are my rubber rods i want Something that's going to be, you know, have good 120 pound, 30 pound floor, depending on the size of the rubber you're throwing, nice, fresh 80 or 100 pound braid and good crispy check on oily drag and everything's good to go on your terminal tackle and been replaced. And then I guess second from the rubber setups is I'm throwing really small minnow baits, 205 cranes, you know, little six inch grandmas and jakes, little having people do crime bosses and other kinds of glide baits and jerk baits too. But something that goes really well for that I found is about an 810 heavy bass swim bait rod in a Tranks 300 and it, or, you know, a little Corrado rod and reel combo, but basically a heavy bass setup over eight foot six you can throw some really tiny little Lake X mini topwaters with that. You can throw much smaller and lighter walk the dog stuff too. You can work, work a tiny crane or balsa twitch bait much more effectively than you can with a nine foot medium heavy musky rod, you know? So I like, like getting those light, light presentations and the rubber presentations ready. First of all. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about terminal tackle. So I, the reason I think about it is because, so we got in a batch of the new Berkeley Nessie. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's like a, like a plastic glide bait, swim bait type of a thing, but they make them, it's, it's actually made more for bass, but I think it's going to be something that musky anglers will adopt at some point. But it looks amazing. I think I've watched, it's a, I saw one that was a white one in the video, I believe, but it, yeah, it looks like it's got an incredible action. Right. And, but so they make a nine inch one, which obviously in the weight rating on it, that'll play for muskies. Not a problem. The seven inch one would probably be one of those that would be uh, kind of borderline, probably want to throw it on that, on that saw, that lighter gear that you're talking about. But then they make a five inch one and that one was pretty small. And I was just like, I was just thinking to myself as I, you know, unpackaged them, like, kind of leader do you think you'd use so like on a on on that really lightweight stuff what are you using for a leader so i'll use an 80 pound cigar abrasex if it's like a less than three ounce bait or you know something that i need floral on like a swimming dog or something really light and really small i'm definitely throwing like an 80 pound cigar abrasex it's thinner diameter than high seas and a few other brands so if you got to use you know guys are usually out of the box stealth leaders are awesome for medusas and dogs you know but they're like 120 on most of them or 130 you can get them 100 pound as well but all those are still way overkill for i think you know that early season's a little clear water and i i'd rather have an 80 pound floral that i just take real good care of and change it out when it gets bad yep yeah absolutely definitely 
All right, so we kind of talked about gear a little bit. Let's go. We we haven't done it, Brad, since we returned back from our break. We took off, obviously, for most of the month of December into early January. We haven't played five questions. So, Andrew, the way this works is I ask you five questions, and we're not looking for, like, super long, in-depth answers, but most of these questions do not require as such. So let's talk about the moon. Do you think the moon is a big deal or not a big deal? When you have fair weather conditions, it's a super big deal. I think it depends on your weather. If it, you know, I'll try not. To, I'll keep it short. If you have a really negative weather trend when it was a warming and now it's cooling and you get easterly or something, the moon's not as effective. It may give you a, a follow or something, but on a fair weather day where you have maybe the right winds or whatever you want, I think you might end up with you know four or five fish to come to the boat, two of them eat kind of thing. So it's twice as important in those good good weather days. All right, then sticking with the moon, are you do you, would you rather be at a full moon or a new moon? New moon. Okay. Easy. And let's go with the rubber. You talked about your how much you like rubber. Are you a bulldog or a medusa type angler? Early in the year I use a lot of deuces in May until about the middle of June and then once they go to thermocline and they want something a little deeper, falling a little faster, we're much more into the mag dog and and pounders. How about, let's go with single-bladed bucktails versus double-bladed bucktails. I use single when the water is under 70 degrees. I use twins when it's over 70. All right. And I think that's four, if I'm not mistaken. Let's go with Fat Bastard or Cannonball Jr.? Fat Bastard in June, Cannonball Jr. in September. Very is very specific about where he where and when he uses his stuff. That's I like. Oh yeah, nice. Or Lake of the Woods or Big Wind for the Cannonball Junior. You know, you just need a a flat calm doesn't do it. Right. This isn't part of the five questions, but of all the gear that you've probably seen for that's coming out for twenty twenty four, what would be the newest, latest thing that you don't currently throw, use, whatever that you're interested in using for twenty twenty four? Oh, I need to get some of the lures. What the hell is his pelagic swims? I saw Brian Scaife have really good luck with those. It's not what I was expecting. I was expecting you to be like, yep, I got to get myself a quad dog. Yeah, you know, I would love to get my hands on a few of those, but I'm the kind of guy who will probably go backwards when other people are all going to come out with the new this year. I'll go back to some older hit and catch some fish. (laughs) (laughs) tubes that's a whole nother conversation oh they're getting overdone now well it's it's weird because yes and no i i mean i still think there i still think there's a whole ton of group of anglers that haven't jumped in the tube bandwagon but to your point they've definitely they've blown up in popularity over the last five seasons i would say there's a lot more options now too man you got the boo tubes and bladed tubes and all kinds of good juicy stuff out there so you can stay ahead of the the standard 10 inch tube guy for sure right and while you were talking about how you like to make different modifications i mean let's say there's plenty of options that you can use to change up your standard modification if you're in the tubes for sure my first one is i'll add an ounce to the head ounce and a half to the head and i'll upsize the blade so it falls a little slower but the head will pull it a little faster so it just changes it from everybody else's you know definitely all right, Andrew. Well, let's go down this route again. If somebody's looking to get out on the water with you this season, I would imagine you probably still have a few openings. And if they, oh, and yeah. if you do, how do they get in touch with you? Easiest way would be to probably just check out my website, veteranguideservice.com. And I've got my cell phone number and my email and I'm the owner operator. So if you reach out, I'll be reaching directly back to you. All right. So, Andrew, I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to talk fishing with us. It's very much appreciated. I would love to get back in touch with you at some point when you're back out fishing, because as much as I love these conversations we have in the winter, it's always nice to talk about the, you know, the latest patterns and, you know, what, what people are putting in the net and what they're catching there. So I'd love to hook back up with you at some point during the season if you'd be interested. Absolutely. Yeah. Whenever you guys have it in mind, please just reach out and I'm down. All right. Sounds good. Well, thank you, Jeff and Brad, for having me. We very much appreciate it. And to our listeners, we very much appreciate your loyalty to Backlash Podcast. And we want to thank you for tuning in again this week. And we will see everybody again with another episode. And this will be a, uh, I think it's pre-Milwaukee episode because time's flying by. We're almost ready to hit the Milwaukee show. We'll be back with a pre-Milwaukee episode next week, Wednesday. So thank you all. 
See you boys in a couple weeks. Are you going to...